Can you feel the love tonight? Yeah, you were a baritone, correct? Absolutely. Yes, okay. So okay. I had to knock down my audition song a few octaves and nailed it. Yeah. Yeah, I was the I was peace the evening brings. <laughs> my mother always told me if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. <laughs> Disney movies, the influence of Disney movies, I think, cannot be overstated. What do you think? I mean, I think that Disney movies, whether it's romance, whether it's a journey of a hero's tale, we we revere these films. But when you really watch it, at least with an adult eye, it's crazy. The subliminal messaging that is prevalent throughout these films. Trying to draw it to more personal, like what did what did Disney and like those fairy tale like movies instill in me is like. Uh, the idea of a happily ever after, the idea of, you know, struggling up until a point where your life will be great. Now realizing that we need to struggle perpetually, <laughs> perpetually. Right. The hero's journey in general, it's like this kind of, this, this, this narrative, this idea that we all need a hero to lift us out of our despair exactly right. i think part of it can be seen as a as an inspiration like you can become that hero but i think a lot of us just end up waiting for that hero to come right waiting for that moment that that almost awakening moment where everything just yeah just everything comes together for us and we know what our calling is we know what our purpose is we found our true love etc and it just doesn't happen like that it doesn't it doesn't Maybe we're being pessimistic, though. Maybe there is a happily ever after, and we're just the unfortunate dwarves that are forced to toil away while Sleeping Beauty gets to chill out and just be hot. Welcome to Mama's Basement. Podcast for Outcast. How is everybody doing? Here in our show, we are trying to examine all the things that influence us to figure out what makes us who we are. If you're tuning in for the first time, we really encourage you to check out our first three episodes. We started from the very beginning, thinking about our mama, ended up talking about mental health and school. Here's the thing. This whole show was born out of Mark and I being entertainers, essentially. You've always been there oh. through my creative journeys. When I was in film school and I needed a stunning actor, I'd call my man Mark up. When we were just sitting in the car for hours, just just freestyling and making music, um, You know, we just always always wanted to entertain and um the thing is like the honest truth is i think if you don't mind me speaking a little bit for you like we went through our our slump you know where we didn't believe in ourselves enough to even tell a story right so we realized that we really need to examine ourselves to figure out who we are why we want to tell stories what got us here and it's very fitting that we talk about just entertainment as a whole right I agree. And I think that entertainment, and I know you could definitely speak to this, but it's had a profound impact on us. Um, I know that when you were growing up, so many things had an impact on you, but I won't speak for you, but for myself as well, whether it was TV, whether it was what I heard through music, whatever it may be, it had a huge impact on me, especially because, you know, I came from a single parent household. So it was huge. Interesting. 
you you just made a light bulb go off in my head because although I didn't come from a single parent household, my parents were very busy. And we talked about in the first episode how Sesame Street taught me English right. and how when my mom couldn't look after me, she would set a plate of apples in front of the TV so I knew to park my butt right there and not move. So like, interestingly, I guess the TV was our surrogate parent. <laughs> At times, yeah, definitely. Crazy. Because it worked as just... For, for our parents, it was seen as a distraction. Now, some parents obviously have the wherewithal to understand that there are publications out there on television that can assist in the education of their children. But, you know, for the most part, they see it as a distraction so that they can get something done. So that way they don't necessarily have to parent the child at that specific moment. Right. You know, nowadays, parents the tablet, just give their kids a tablet, the iPad. you know, exactly. you know, um, but what are some of like the early like, you know, you grew up with a TV. Like, what are some of the early influences <laughs> that shaped you if i were to start I, I would have to start with the influences of my mom so i know we're talking about tv but i'll go over music real fast um with her it was mainly haitian music and she didn't really necessarily like rap or hip-hop she didn't necessarily like the lyrics or things of that nature but you know she would listen to it with her friends if she went out etc but for myself being young my brother etc she didn't have any of that as a matter of fact i knew most of the backstreet boy lyrics before i knew of any type of rap lyrics or anything of that nature I put that on God. So going from that, even when I was younger, we didn't necessarily have cable. So I would watch, you know, PBS. What was it at the time? WB, UPN, Yo, WB. things of that nature. Kids WB. Come on, son. Fire. So every Saturday, you know how it was from 7 to 12. They would oh have it on God. ABC as well. Saturday morning cartoons. <laughs> that was the ritual. That's you right. You could not pull me out of bed before 10 o'clock, except on Saturdays, I was there parked, ready exactly ready to go exactly i loved it so with that obviously it's the cartoons and we'll dive way more into that but other than that honestly my mom in terms of like what we call parental content now or what they block or things of that nature i wouldn't watch rated r movies i would rarely watch pg-13 movies most of the movies i watched were pg tv shows i watched were pg and as a matter of fact i was a faithful watcher of seventh heaven before i would go to bed that's right Dude, seventh heaven. Seventh heaven. I remember that show. <laughs> I remember just getting, no offense, just incredibly bored. <laughs> Listen, that's why we watched before bed. <laughs> I mean, go good point. Good point. It's so funny because, like, okay, you watch Seventh Heaven probably because yes. your mom watched it, right? Yeah, honestly, she would just put it on in our bedroom, yeah. like literally right before bed. She'd come in, turn it off, go to bed. <laughs> Dude, that just threw me back. Yeah, man. You know, I, I can I can also list off a lot of the same influences, like WB especially, yep. PBS especially. Yep. Fox. Fox had the cartoons oh, in the morning Fox. too. Yep. And there was like the competition, like you didn't know which channel to pick. Was exactly. it WB or was it Fox? So you'd chart your favorite shows and flip from precisely, back and forth. Precisely. You know, I was yep. big into the anime. I love the anime so much. And to this day, I love it. Um, I don't know what it was, just the style. And I think the, 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 the general themes, like the... Kung Fu superhero. <laughs> Sorry, I know that was terrible, terrible it's generalization. <laughs> but a lot of American anime that was distilled down to that. It was right. like, you know, fighting, action, but with a heart and with a story. Yes, always. But I can pinpoint to like some concrete moments where entertainment, like as a child, just actually really reshaped my life. Uh, one thing is Titanic. Ooh. I watched that movie when I was like four years old. I remember we were at Tops. And my dad picked up the double feature VHS. He's like, oh, Titanic. <laughs> we dropped that and we watched it together as a family. And, you know, obviously there was the whole nude scene. My mom didn't let me see that. Right. You know, as soon as 
you know, Rose took off her clothes. It was like, shut your eyes, Akram. Astaghfirullah. <laughs> but she let me watch Jack drown in the ocean. Mm. And that scarred me for life. I was, I became deathly afraid of water after that. Wow. Yeah. I never learned to swim. I never you wanted still to go swim? on a boat. I ended up learning how to swim okay. in my twenties. In your twenties. Okay. Um, but I just refused. I even got doctor's notes to get out of swim class. I was like, I don't want to drown. It's just crazy because like my parents' standards were like, okay, I could, I could see a beheading. I could see an on-screen death. But I couldn't see a boob. Right. Lord forbid I saw a boob. I would go down the devil's path. But it was okay to watch a man turn into a frozen corpse and have that image seared into my mind, keeping me from water. Right. Could you imagine if like I was on an airplane and it fell into the ocean? I was like, fudge, man, Titanic, as I drowned into the sea. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, uh, my goodness. So, yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. I think for me, that's like a really prime example of you know what we see on television can can change us can scar us can transform us no i agree and to follow off of that like like i told you i wasn't exposed to the beheadings or violent movies like you had said so for me like even till this day i'm really not a fan of graphic films whatsoever like very gory heads being cut off things of that like i'm really not a fan whatsoever and i remember being young and um, I went to the movie theater. My mom allowed me to go to the movie theater with the family next door because we were close and mm -hmm. things of that nature. So she didn't know what movie we went to see, but we went and saw Sleepy Hollow. Yikes. And just people being beheaded and all. Yo, I was freaked out, bro. I was shook. I was scared as hell, bro. It was, it was the worst, man. It was the worst. And since then, man, yo, Horror movies give me this type of anxiety that I just, mm, I wouldn't wish on anybody, man. Dang. It's awful. Awful. It's crazy because we almost had a different paradigm. So would your mom cover your eyes when there was a boob on screen or tell you to cover your eyes or turn away? Like I said, she would do both, man. Like I really wouldn't see, I didn't see any of those things until like my mom really started working the longer hours and things of that nature. What about a kiss? Could you, could you see yeah, a kiss? Yeah, I would see a kiss, but I mean, they would be in, you know, those animated movies we didn't want to mention. Mm. You feel me? So, I mean, it would show it in there. Now, granted, it's animated, whatever. It's still, you know what I'm saying? And that could still have an impact on younger kids. Yeah, or, my parents would hit the fast forward when there was a kiss. Wow. Or, or, or change the channel. And it's interesting because like, you know, as we grow older, we, we start to develop our own identities, right? So, you know, being more mature, I was like, I don't give a shit if somebody kisses on right. screen. Like, you know, it's just, it's organic. It's nature, you know, but <laughs> yet I avoided watching Game of Thrones for a while because I would hear about all the sex like that would happen on the show. And it's just like in my unconscious, I was like, you know, I shouldn't be watching that. I shouldn't be watching that. and But I finally came around to it. And yeah, uh, yeah there was a lot of sex. Yeah. I, I mean, I heard that as well. And what's crazy is, is you didn't watch it because of the sex. I didn't watch it because of the violence. It's crazy. Isn't that wild? It's so funny. <laughs> I could count off so many instances where even when I was coming on my own, like I would, I would be averse towards like rated R stuff, you know, stuff that I felt like I shouldn't be watching because it was, wasn't good for my heart. And right. You know, we'll get into whether or not it does like actually influence the heart in that way. But yeah, it's just pretty, pretty interesting to know. We, we went back to our parents, but like, I guess even our entertainment choices kind of do become influenced by our parents. But then the entertainment in turn influences us. Without question. 
And and it's not even just our parents. A lot of times it's the phenomenon of our friends talking about things. And it gets us to be like, well, damn, I don't want to be on the outside. I want to be a part of this. And a lot of times that gets us to watch things that maybe we would not have watched before. It gets us to see things we may not have ever seen before. And that begins to influence us in certain ways so that maybe we could fit into a certain social group mm-hmm. or situation, scenario, whatever it may be. Right. And it's almost like if you didn't watch something, you'd be left out of the cultural conversation. Like, Absolutely. Um, I remember super bad. Do you remember super bad? Did I you, do did remember you see it super when it came out? I did not see it when Me it neither. first came out. No. Me neither. Right. But I do remember maybe it was just a small group of guys in my grade, but they all watched super bad and literally they formed a click around that movie where they would just quote that movie back and forth. And I didn't watch super bad because it was the title was super bad. Right. And I was like, damn, this is probably super haram. I don't want to see that, <laughs> you know? Uh, but like, I like literally slowly got like disenfranchised from that group because I could not quote with them. Right. You know, I could not. And you know, it's funny because they were like, be like, Hey, your name is Muhammad. Muhammad is the most common name on earth. And I guess that can't, they talk about that in super bad. And I was like, no, actually my name is McLovin. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Uh, I actually still haven't seen Superbad, uh, but I remember it being what? like, yeah. Really? Maybe I have, but I just didn't really I mean, care too watch much it, about it's, it. It's, 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 it's cool. It's not crazy. It's yeah. cool. Yeah. What are things do you remember people like being obsessed with? Wow. Godfather. Um, Scarface. Oh, yeah. Goodfellas. Um, I literally watched Scarface just because I saw it on so many t-shirts. I was like, I need to see this movie. And it was so good. You know what I mean? Like things like that. Now, obviously, I could get into other movies as it pertains to like what people consider you listed three culture. Crime movies. Yeah, I know, right? Why? Um, because like I, I just feel like a lot of people see those films and 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 rate them so highly and see it as something you need to see. Hell, it could Canon. even be Star Wars. It could be oh, yeah. you know the franchise. You know what I'm saying? If you haven't seen it, blah blah blah. You should this that and the third. Um, there's so many films that I can name, but again, I'm not the cinephile, so I'm sure you know of other movies in which they're classics and people would revere it in such a way that if you haven't seen it, oh my god! Here's the thing: you know? it doesn't matter what's influential to the cinephile. What matters is what's influential to the public. You know, so I could tell you about the cabinet of Doctor. Was it Cabinet of Cagliostro or something like that? <laughs> no, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. It's a German impressionist film. You probably don't know anything about it, but it Hell reshaped no. the way films were made. I can okay. tell you about, you know, all these, but it, it, does, it doesn't matter. What matters is what does everybody, what is informing our cultural conversation? Right. And that's what I'm asking you, though. Like, what, in your experience, what movies do you feel like really shaped that conversation besides the movies that I named? Hmm. You that's feel a me? great, great question. Right. Jeez. I think honestly, <laughs> I hate to say it, Titanic. Yeah. Like I'm, I, I said it in the beginning. I'm saying it, Titanic. Like yeah. I think globally is one of those movies that like whether you're from you know United States or you're from Syria or you're from Japan, you know Titanic or you've heard of Titanic or you've been influenced by Titanic and, and like Titanic, this kind of like epic romance, this examination of class struggle and this you know you could get the girl from the upper class, but you're going to end up at the bottom of the sea. You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like a warning in a sense um, that we've kind of absorbed and, and, and haven't really thought about the implications of that. I want to try my best to explain how entertainment influences from a philosophical standpoint. All right, here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, are you guys ready? I hope you're listening. 
Q-tips, clean out the wax. This is going to be deep. This is going to be important. Crash course into Plato's theory of forms. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So there's this theory. There's this idea um, that there exists a world of forms. How can I explain that? Picture a red apple. Do you have that image in your mind? Yes. <laughs> can you see the redness? Sure. Can you see the apple? Yes. Is there a red apple anywhere around here? No. So what you've done is you've conjured the form of redness and you've conjured the form of an apple in your mind to create that image. Right. So what Plato's theory of forms basically argues is that there exists a world, like a real world, and then there exists a world of forms that all right. of these ideas are actually real and they exist in this abstract uh, abstract universe. And everything that we see in this world that we exist in is a replication or an instance of these forms. Now, can we actually see what that ideal apple is, that universal apple, that original apple that every single apple came from, mm -hmm. we can't. But we can conjure the image so we can see it in our mind. However, these images that we see are influenced by what we've seen in the real world. Right. So our access to the forms is based on what we see and we experience here right. on earth. What wood feels like, what wood looks like what a man is, what a woman is. Right. You know, we have these forms in our mind. And the goal of seeking knowledge is to be able to see these forms clearly. So I may have an image in my mind of what a man is and what it's supposed to be. Right. But that might not necessarily be the truth. There is a true form. There is a true ideal. Right. So I have to be able, in order to be wise, I have to be able to see that clearly. So while we sit there and we consume entertainment, we are receiving ideals. We are having an image formed in our mind uh, that represents what these forms are. So what is a princess? Right. We don't even know what a princess really is, except for what we've seen uh, through television, through entertainment that right. shaped that image in our mind. The point I'm trying to make is... We, I think entertainment shapes our ideals. It shapes how we see the truth. I don't think that's good, though, at all. I think that's not good at all because if you really look at television and look at who's really behind it, then it becomes, well, why are they the ones giving us what they believe is the ideal forms? And if that is the truth to what you say, that we take these in and seek them or believe them to be the ideal forms, well, then if the people behind, you know, the execs, whoever are making these decisions, well, then they truly have all of the control. Right. So I don't see that as a good thing. And that's why representation is so important. You get what I'm saying? Well, the thing is, it's not necessarily good or evil. It's like a tool. It's like a hammer. You know, you could build a house or you can I get what you're saying. House, yeah. You know? Yeah. The power is risky, though. And yeah, like you said, who's behind these images? Right. And how are they made? And what are the messages they're trying to convey exactly. is important to understand. And exactly. not trying to be no conspiracy theorist, but there is no coincidence to the type of images that we see 
uh, and its relation to the society that has been created uh, as a result, a very consumeristic society, right? Uh, a society that devalues certain lives um, and elevates other lives. Well, for me, this is what I'll retort your theory of forms with. I'll just say it as this, like, would you consider these forms? I can just, I consider the biases that we have. So when we're watching television and we see certain things, what's going to happen is, is that the bias that we already have, it's either going to be confirmed or denied by what we see. And it depends upon how we process that information. Are we going to take that information and use it to educate ourselves and, and be like, you know what? I know some people and they don't do that. So I'm not going to take that as its final form and use that as a stereotype or whatever to reaffirm the bias that I have. Now, a lot of people don't do that, though. Here's the thing. A lot of people don't have access. Like you talk about the way Muslims are portrayed and the way Islamophobia is conveyed through film. There are only two to three million Muslims in America. We make up one to two percent of the population. Right. So while somebody living in a city like Buffalo, New York, et cetera, has no excuse because the chances are they have met a Muslim. You got your people in middle America who there isn't a Muslim for 100 miles. Right. So they're relying honestly on the television to tell them what a Muslim is. Right. And they may think themselves the wiser, uh, but it's powerful. Images are powerful. If images help us see the abstract reality, which is the form, which is the 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 truth behind everything, right. then what we see, um, whether we like it or not, shapes our view of everything else. Oh, without question. Like I said, it either confirms or denies that bias that they yeah. have. So like you stated, if they have an experience or have any experiences with people who practice Islam. Well, then, of course, what they see, if it is, you know, on the television screen and it is a stereotype of what someone who practices Islam is, well, then it's just going to confirm that bias that they already have because they don't have any prior experiences with someone who practices Islam. So it does right. have that type of impact and it's 100%. important. And that's why I think having executives or representation in television mm -hmm of not just a certain type of stereotype of that culture of what Islam is or what black is, it's yeah. important to really show the full spectrum and really have individuals who have experienced it I behind agree. that. I agree. I say this often. We, they'll give us a spot on the stage, but rarely a seat at the table. Right. They'll tokenize us and put us on the screen uh, because they know that has entertainment value, uh, especially when we're the cab driver, especially when we're the corner store clerk, but they won't invite us often in the writer's room. Exactly. I know, that's, I know there's initiatives now hoping to change that. Right. But they select, you know, major studios will select like five candidates a year for their diversity pool. And that's not nearly a drop in the water. Right. But I digress. I think we'll get back to this later. But I, I do want us to, to, to keep examining how we personally have been influenced on a very personal level. Like there's funny moments and stupid moments. Like, you know, we talked about how I was permitted to see violence, but I wasn't permitted to watch, you know, boobies and kissing. Right. Um, <laughs> so I was, I was drawn to these action shows. I was drawn to this fighting. I was drawn. There was a specific show called Ultimate Muscle. Oh, God. Have you seen that? Absolutely not. It was on Fox and it was basically an ultimate wrestling championship intergalactic battle royale television show. And the protagonist, he had a fin on the top of his head. And his super move was he would run full speed, dive, fly in the air parallel to the ground and like smack people in the spine with his fin. End their life. End their life. Pretty much. 
<laughs> so I was like, okay. yo, that looks like a sick move. I am ultimate muscle. And I ran full speed and I dived head first, parallel to the ground, smacked into my couch. I heard a <laughs> and then I just laid still <laughs> and started crying, thinking I was paralyzed. <laughs> I literally imitated these the wrong things. Well, I mean, maybe if you would have hit into somebody's body, you would have had less impact on you. But I don't know. We don't know. You hit a couch. We should try it sometime. <laughs> How effective is the ultimate muscle head dive move? Oh, my god. And I know you were telling me that, like, you, you had a little WWE streak in you. Oh, man. Listen, um, anybody who grew up on Allenhurst knows about the Allenhurst wrestling stuff that we used to get into. <laughs> so a few of our friends had some wrestling belts. And literally every day we would engage in like a 20 like 10 to 20 person battle royal whoever would win that battle royal would take the belt home that day and be crowned champion and guess what you had to come back the next day and defend that title so <laughs> i love it we always what we did was the way alan Hurst was set up there's like this little grass thing in the back like in the alley we would put mattresses down there we would have ladders and we would literally do like ladder matches from the wrestling so we would put the title at the top of this fence that was up this wall so you literally had to climb the ladder get get the belt and not Jeez. get knocked off the ladder we had mattresses on the bottom so you didn't just hit the ground but it was super fun it was like it was like a king of the hill battle royal we would do this all the time we would just fight win belts we would box i'll never forget we were boxing i felt so bad this one time um i was with this one kid and he was talking all this stuff and i was like dude i really don't want to box you but like you keep saying things so i'm gonna have to box you and his <laughs> mom was in the window watching us <laughs> And I had, you know, those Hulk smash gloves. And when you hit, it'd be like Hulk smash. Yo, I whooped his ass. (laughs) And his mom was in the window. Come inside. Come inside. I'm like, I I, I don't understand why he was talking like this. And I was only like eight or nine. But like we would do this all the time. And we were always fighting, always wrestling, always beefing, hitting people with the rock bottom, the fame asser, the people's elbow, the scissor kicks, the pedigree. Whew. I'm telling you right now, the way we really got stuff popping back then, like, it's crazy that we didn't hurt ourselves even more. Like, wow. most of the time, we usually just had, like, scratches, a little blood here and there, but it was a good time. What if popular entertainment was, like, campfire sing-alongs, like, all the time, and we would get together with our friends, hold hands, and kumbaya, my lord. You did great. I'm going to crown you the best peaceful singer on the block. <laughs> But we ain't drawn to that. Yeah, I, I don't think I'm going to. Yeah, I would never want to do that. That sounds awful. That's no offense. Okay, it's no secret then that TV had us physically assaulting each other <laughs> and hurting ourselves. But um, how did it shape the way we viewed ourselves and each other? Like, not just on a philosophical level, like what it meant to be a hero, what it meant to be a man, but like what it meant to be black what it meant right. to be arab like i might get in trouble for 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 saying this but i uh, i just you know our goal is to be honest so right. i want to be honest i mean right being arab muslim in you know a predominantly white school predominantly white neighborhood in america when we didn't really have an established identity one thing that i was drawn to was black culture or at least what i thought black culture was right for instance like the idea of the hood the idea of you know rap music being both uh a a cultural expression but also a resistance expression right and like i adopted these cultural touch points thinking that you know this is black culture and you know this is the culture that i should emulate right and then i came to 
realized fortunately that like, okay, black culture is not just this is so much more. Um, but I definitely feel like when I didn't have the wisdom to really investigate, like I had a certain understanding of black culture that came out of film and television that probably was a far cry from reality. What do you think? It depends on what you saw and, <laughs> and what you listened to. But um, honestly, I feel like that that's something that permeates through many, many different neighborhoods, cultures, schools, etc. And I just feel like oftentimes what happens is, is that to to certain individuals, a certain aspect of black culture seems to be a fad. It's fashionable rather than it actually being something that people practice, participate in, celebrate, etc. It becomes something that's co-opted by individuals who have no understanding of the history, no understanding of where it came from, the origination, etc. Mm-hmm. I think that it's just important for people to understand that. I think that, and that goes hand in hand with education, just understanding the history. Because right. if you understand the history, if you understand the individuals and you respect those individuals, you'll take the time to do that and understand that that's not something that we should be doing. And if it is something that you're going to be celebrating, well, then celebrate the people yeah. as well. Don't just celebrate certain aspects of it because you think it's cool, you think it's fashionable, or you think it's going to make you in with the in crowd or whatever yeah. it may be. Well, I think by nature, though, entertainment does not invite that sort of introspection or kind of that call to action to research and learn and understand more. Right. I mean, my understanding of black culture came from the Billboard Hot 100 and it came from, you know, MTV, that sort of thing, just portraying a certain lifestyle that, right. that was blackness. And I know that I heard kids who were black and didn't necessarily wear saggy pants or spit hip hop lyrics being called Oreo. Like you're black on the outside, white on the inside. Right. So I guess what I'm, what I want to understand from your perspective is how do you think blackness has been represented to you? And did you feel a pressure to be a certain way because of entertainment? Uh, Without question. And I think, I think, well, I'll address one of the the big misconceptions is that it only permeates from those who are non-black. So I'll address that first. The fact that I lived in somewhat subsidized housing within a rather wealthy neighborhood, I was around other black individuals. And what's crazy is, is that I was picked on for the fact that most of the black individuals who did live in the live where I lived, they lived on the bottom floor. I happen to live on the upper floor. So they would say stuff like, oh, you were upper floor, you know what? Can you feel the castle? You- <laughs> <laughs> but you feel what I'm saying? So yeah. little things like that, even just a little bump in the socioeconomic status can really cause a divide between certain individuals. Now, again, I'm speaking to my perspective and I know other people can relate. And also another thing that happens is, and I'm sure you've heard this before, and again, this is something that that happens within the culture and can really mess with individuals is the idea of light skins versus dark skins and how how awful it can really be and how much it can really impact, especially those of the darker complexion, because it's always been those of the darker complexion who have been ostracized more so mm-hmm. than the light skin or right. than, you know what I'm saying? So all of these things, like it's it's crazy. And I think a lot of those things like I I went through, but the main thing I went through was that because my mother would read to me, because my mother emphasized reading and reading comprehension and speaking properly, etc., I would get made fun of because I didn't say turn on the light. I said turn on the light. 
you know what I'm saying? I would get made fun of by black individuals because of the way I spoke. So it wasn't just white people with their with their, you know, microaggressions being like, oh, you speak so properly as if they're surprised that I can do that. It was also from black individuals Mm -hmm. who would be like, well, why are you talking like that? So what I want to know is, do you think entertainment perpetuated that? Because yes, I think I think it did, because a lot of times, not only with black kids, but with white kids, it's like if I didn't listen to G unit, I'm not black enough. If I wasn't listening to certain songs, I'm not black enough. If I didn't watch this movie, I'm not black enough. If I'm not wearing Nikes, I'm not black enough. Mm -hmm. You feel what I'm saying? So that definitely is is something that that happened a lot and for me as i got older i honestly just stopped caring i obviously care about the black culture i obviously want to be able to help and do everything that i possibly can but those type of things i just let it be like it it is what it is if that's what you want to say if that's how you want to feel then it is what it is but i know where my mindset is at and i'm not focused on those things and it's really sad because like i almost felt like you know especially when i um you know hanging out with you know black kids growing up like i felt like i had to be a certain type of way just to fit in like right you know i remember even like looking up ebonics and like <laughs> it's right. shameful but it's it's true i mean like the certain persona that pop culture perpetuated of what a successful a black person looked like right. acted like talked like what they wore how they dressed all of that became very very influential especially because you know arabs we we just weren't really represented at all and when we were it was it was usually the antagonist. Right. And I think with, correct me if I'm wrong, I think with black culture and black people, it's like they would be the protagonist oftentimes, but they would also be boxed in into these like hood roles or rap music was, uh, you know, nowadays we're, we're actually very fortunate to have like a huge lug, like, portfolio of rap music i didn't think there always was yeah but. i was just about to say that there always has been it's just that like i said the people behind the powers that be who actually promoted that certain type of music and got it onto mainstream radio they let us hear what they thought that we wanted to hear or what they thought was really indicative of what is happening with the black like a community. recursive cycle exactly we're now that's all that's being put out put out so that's all that is being sought exactly crazy i mean you know, and, and you make a great point about the self, almost like the self-loathing. Like, like I said, we didn't really have that representation, but we had, like, for example, Borat. You know, me and my guys, my Muslim and Arab and Pakistani friends, we loved that movie. But we would go and pick on kids that maybe came from the motherland who had an accent. We would call their dads like Azamat Begitov and, and like make fun of them. Right. We had no right to do that. <laughs> Our parents are just as fobby as their parents. <laughs> You know, and like, but we, we take these characters and we, and they become a form. They become an ideal. They become right. like, okay, every fobby, funny character, uh, uh, human in, in our, in our own life has a relation to Borat in their fobbiness, in their accent, in their right. whatever. And we even start to divide within our own selves. Is, did you experience anything like that? Can you think of like a character? Or? This is what I'll say in terms of representation in certain characters um for me i was just happy with shows like fresh prince of bel-air because they would often talk about the the divide between black americans and socioeconomic status and those of who are affluent and those who are poor and how those who are affluent are looked down upon Mm -hmm. you know and things of that nature and also like carlton banks the ability to showcase that you know 
not all black people need to wear baggy pants and et cetera. You know, he was focused on his academics. He was focused on getting ahead in life. And I appreciated that. And it's the same thing with a different world. Mm -hmm. You know, those things had a profound impact on me because before that show, I I was young and naive. You know what I'm saying? I told you my mother was adopted into a white family. I watched Seventh Heaven for God's sakes. And I literally admitted to you earlier that I knew NSYNC and Backstreet Boy (laughs) lyrics before I knew many rap lyrics. So the idea of black identity and things of that nature weren't necessarily on the tip of my mother's tongue because, again, she's not from here. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so for me, just seeing those things, like it illuminated so much and seeing a different world and the HBCUs and the full spectrum of colored individuals, not just being one way, but, you know, having a Whitley being affluent the way she was, having a Dwayne Wayne, you know, came from a poor background, but was focused on his academics. And he was really the quintessential black nerd. It was awesome. And then having a Ron Johnson, having a Kim Reese, having a Freddie, like all of those things were so amazing. Yeah. And so that, that, That was the big thing. And I think that we need more of that. And again, that was a show run by and directed by black individuals speaking on that black experience. And that's what's important. Yeah. And I think the thing that is is really tragic is the generalization of minority experiences that happens because we look at it through the prism of entertainment. You know, unfortunately, a lot of people ourselves included, like myself included, looking at my own kind. And I'm like, I'm sure you can relate. Absolutely. We see the, our experiences portrayed on screen and we start to homogenize ourselves. Like the black experience looks only this way. Right. The Arab experience looks only this way. Right. Uh, Rather than understanding that blackness, Arabness, Islam, you know, these categories that we belong to are have as many branches if not more so than the tree outside your door it's it's there is no one experience whereas like it, you know italians greeks irish people they can convey so many different forms and entertainment and nobody really generalizes like nobody actually believes that all italian folk are mobsters right. even though we know that the mafia was run by italian folk and, right but we are also aware of the diversity and complexity and we're aware that there's exactly. italian families that do not engage in criminal activity, but we see a Muslim on screen portrayed like a terrorist for the hundredth time. We believe their whole religion right. is violent. And then that becomes internalized. And I start to question my own faith and my own values. Yeah. I, I, we still don't have like the fresh prince of Islam <laughs> like, yet. <laughs> um, I mean, I think there's like, I mean, you could create it. Remember you are a filmmaker or story writer. Hey, You're man, a storyteller. We've got a long way to go. I mean, but I also don't want to discredit because I know there's great work out there. And I Absolutely. know, like, you know, for example, the show Rami is 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 definitely making strides. However, I've seen a schism that that show has created in my community. And it made me realize something really profound in that us minorities, we don't have the luxury of specificity. Like Rami is a specific story about a really horny Muslim man that right. has a sex addiction and is trying to hold on to his faith. But a lot of people in my community can't handle that because they're like, oh, that doesn't represent us. That's not what right. a, Islam is all about. Mm-hmm. Islam is a pure religion. And like, I'm, I'm ashamed of Rami for creating this show and portraying us in this way because that's not who we are. Obviously, that's not who I am. That's not who my mom is. That's not who my brother is. That's not who... 95% of the people at my mosque are, right. but there's a good 5% that are sex addicted right. that can relate. And by seeing his story, like we can start to see, I think, 
the humanity of us. Like, I think a lot of people in my community are dying for like a very moral, ethical Muslim to be portrayed when really people are just drawn to, I think, flawed, real individuals. And I think if we want to portray the ideal Muslim in television, I think a lot of people are going to be disconnected from that. But again, I'm speaking very generally. My main point is going back to the luxury of specificity. You know, they say our biggest export as a nation is our culture. Mm -hmm. And the amount of films Hollywood has created showing the multifarious American identities, uh, the, the, the many different professions and skills that white people can have, exactly. we haven't seen that translated for us. So we see one representation of our people and we think that is the representation. But I don't think we should allow ourselves to fall into that trap. No, I agree. And I completely agree with what you were stating. Um, I won't call it the luxury or specificity. I would just call it that we don't have the freedom to be an individual. Dang. And and that's what it really comes down to. The freedom to be able to individually express who we are and, and how we feel about the culture that we represent. Right. You know? And so that's just something we haven't gotten the ability to do and even if we do there's still factions within our own culture who see that as not an accurate representation of what they believe the ideal is supposed to be and then being who we are confused kids living in our mom's house right? <laughs> like it starts to eat away at us because right. we start to feel like dang the powers that be see us this way and our own community sees us another way. So who are we supposed to be? Right. And for me, I I don't want to act like I have all the answers, but I feel like it's always, if if you haven't noticed by now, what I usually say is it's usually somewhere in the middle, you know, um, understanding that everybody, like I stated before, is an individual and they express their beliefs within their culture, their religion mm-hmm. differently. And that's okay. So the more that we can make that privy to individuals outside of said culture, the more that they'll understand it, even those within the culture. They'll understand that, like, you know what, there isn't one way. And as long as this individual isn't harming anybody, and as long as they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, and that's being a productive and helpful citizen, what's the problem? Nothing. But the thing is, like, it's so much easier said than done. (laughs) And what I realized, what I've come to realize about my own struggle with trying to establish my identity is that even the questions that I ask myself, even when I'm writing a story from my authentic point of view, sadly, I can't help but view it within the prism that Hollywood, white America, however you want to put it, has crafted. You know, I always look at myself as either maybe trying to subvert something that was imposed on me or challenging something that was imposed on me instead of just simply being able to tell my own story. And that's something I think that we need to work towards in realizing that we can dismiss entirely our representations. Not all Arabs come from a desert, you know? There's a lot of tropical, there's a lot of, there's mountains, there's snowy peaks in the Middle East. Yes, it's true, (laughs) you know? There's like, we can look at things from our point of view and maybe start to like bypass this whole entertainment hoopla and maybe get back to our own community. You know, if if your grandparents are still alive and well, document their stories. And I'm trying to do that more often. I'm trying to 
figure out what my identity is by throwing away all of the entertainment I've consumed in the in my life and really just hearing my grandparents' struggles and my community's struggles. But it's uh, I'm not very good at it. I'm not going to lie. Why do you say that? Because I always want to turn on Netflix. <laughs> I always want to just get distracted. And, 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 and But like, that's the thing. That's the power of entertainment. Right. It's like this double-edged sword because it's education. It informs us what the way the world works, but it also gives us pleasure. And we're drawn to it. Right. No, I agree. And I think that one of the ways you can maybe work on that is not only writing those things down, but maybe because, you know, we have so much cameras and things like that you should record them and turn it into something whereas that you could turn it into something that other people can watch other people can view because that way it turns into something that can be viewed they might want to rewatch it etc and it's something that they could take in much like they do with netflix you could turn it into your own little documentary short film story whatever it may be illuminating those things that you wanted to illuminate through your grandparents perspective of course do you have the funds to make this happen? Do I have the funds? <laughs> it's a great I? pitch, but show me the money. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. And and we need more of that. And right. I think we are at this kind of turning point where we're seeing, I think, from within our communities, more art being created. And I think we we kind of hurt ourselves. I think the irony is because of how we've been portrayed in the media, our parents' generation saw the whole entertainment industry as this vile shark tank that we need to stay away from. So maybe we stunted our own growth in a sense by not cultivating in our kids the need to tell stories. Right. But I think we're starting to get over that hill. We're starting to see television, movies more often. And and the funny thing is, like back home, they've been doing this. They don't deal with how do I represent Islam in film because right. – there, we have our own cinema back home, which I'm on. I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I just uh, I've probably dismissed for a big portion of my life, and I and I should actually look into. We should be looking into the cinema created by you know our culture, not through the lens of Hollywood, because Hollywood has its own agenda, very profit driven. But um, a lot of our films back home are are written with heart, right? And filmed with heart and made with heart. So yeah, we should. I should invest more time in trying to figure out what our voice is independent of this whole prism that, you know, I've been raised to revere because it was my surrogate parent. <laughs> and yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think that the biggest thing we can do is that if we are going to consume this entertainment, then we have to apply critical thinking to it. Who made this? What is their agenda? What right. is their intention? What are they trying? What is the message they're trying to get across to us? Does it actually achieve that? What are, you know what I'm saying? Like it really, so as as we consume entertainment, remember we are, we are a consumer. We have the influence to change what is right. on television. We do. That's a fact. So it really comes down to as a consumer, what are we doing on our end to be an educated consumer? I know a lot of people who will, before they buy something, they'll, they'll check the ingredients and they'll look at every chemical or whatever that was added to their food before they make that decision. I Absolutely. Mean, but are we checking the credits before we buy a movie ticket? Right. You know, Aladdin, for instance, is one of the most harmful pieces of film re representing our culture ever made. It's, it's because it's so 
subtle in the way it dehumanizes us. It, uh, the very opening song talks about how barbaric our culture is, but hey, it's home. Arabian night. And then you read the credits. There's not a single Arab credited. Right. And then they tried. They tried to reinvent Aladdin. Again, a spot on the stage, not a seat at the table. Not at all. They casted an Egyptian to play Aladdin. They casted like a half Indian, half British woman to play Jasmine. And they're like, all right, check, check. Who should direct this? Guy Ritchie. (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing? What are you doing? Don't don't show your kids that. Right. Don't buy that ticket. Right. I bought that ticket. I was hoping for something good. I regret it. I want my money back, Disney. Yo, you ain't lying, bro. Listen, me and my girl went to the drive-ins and we went to watch it. Fell asleep. Good. Fell asleep. That's what it was. Telling you, man. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Yeah. But um, what I want to be able to do better for myself in realizing how influential and how subtly influential entertainment can be i want to make sure i support more uh artists from my culture more filmmakers from my culture more filmmakers from minority cultures absolutely uh watch more black films directed by black men and women uh watch more arab films directed by arab men and women and talk to my grandma a little bit more yeah absolutely absolutely not only should we intake the entertainment with a with a mindful eye from now on but definitely look at what those who experienced it before us see what they went through see how much it has changed see what we can do to continue this change and continue forth on the trails that they already blazed for us and at the end of the day at the bottom line is no matter how we're represented just learn to love your community there is no perfect community out there there is no like that's the thing it's like I think growing up, I saw the way we've been portrayed. I saw the way we've been represented. I saw the way my own family maybe didn't have the most nuanced perspective on things. And I started to even believe that my culture is broken. And that's a damn shame because ain't a perfect culture out there, but every culture is beautiful. Absolutely. And honestly, I have nothing more to add. That was beautifully said. And I completely agree with that sentiment, my brother. Elbows. (laughs) (laughs) Elbows. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for tuning into our show. Really appreciate it. Listen, we know there's so much to unpack here. So if you think we should focus on something specific, whether it's film specifically, TV specifically, music specifically, let us know. Absolutely. And like we always say, please share your perspective. I know we made this kind of a rallying cry for our episode, but we truly want to learn from as many people as possible. So please feel free to reach out. And don't forget, at the end of the season, episode nine, we are going to give away a Kindle Unlimited to one lucky subscriber, commenter, liker. So just hit that subscribe button. Let us know what you think at the bottom. And we look forward to hearing, well, and seeing, well, and being with you next time. I love it. So don't forget to like. And remember, if you want to see these videos pop right up, make sure you hit that notifications button. The bell. Ding. Ding. Mama's Basement, a podcast for outcasts, was made possible with post-production support by Jacob Huss, intro and outro music by Charlie McCormick, marketing by Inderjeet Singh, with a special thank you to Narin Guyan. Every episode will also premiere on YouTube, so if you want to see us, check out our channel simply titled Mama's Basement. We'll be here every Sunday. This is a True Intent production shot in my mom's basement. Oh boy. See ya.